Do you remember when you committed or recommitted your life to Christ? As Ray and Gail were up here, I went back there. I hope you did too. What a gracious God to bring us to faith. Let's pray. Father, I don't know how we allow ourselves to get so caught up in this world that we can't even see sometimes where we're going or what you're doing in life. It's a little like a merry-go-round, Lord, and it goes faster and faster, not slower and slower as we get older. But we have moments, Lord, that are divinely appointed like just a moment ago when all of us have an opportunity to stop and say, wow, Lord, you've reached out and drawn us into a relationship. You've demonstrated your love through the giving of your own son on our behalf. You've bestowed your Holy Spirit on us, and now you have us in church on Sunday worshiping you and being encouraged to live our lives for you. Please forgive us, Lord. We make a mess out of that sometimes, but that's what's going on. And it's by your grace. Help us to never forget that as we call on your name, we are a forgiven people. When we confess to you the things that we have done that disappoint you and break your heart and are offensive to you, that in the calling out, that forgiveness is already ours. Another reminder of your grace. Father, there are a lot of times that we don't treat other people like you treat us. A lot of times, dear God, when we're hard-hearted or unforgiving or... Forgive us, Father. We all have done that from time to time. And I ask your forgiveness and I ask that right now your Holy Spirit would so encourage us that we would commit not to do that anymore. You've told us, Lord, that we're to love you with all of our heart and our mind and we're to love our neighbors. Help us to do that. Father, it certainly is troubling times that we live in and I suppose people who've lived in generations before us have been troubled by what goes on, but when a man burns a house down and takes the life of a woman and a child and kidnaps another child... It's an indication, Father, of how bizarre things are in our land. And it seems like a weekly occurrence. I pray for our country, Lord. I pray that you would help us to experience a revival spiritually. That we might get some boundaries that would restrict our behavior that we might have some truths that set us free, the truths that come from your word. Please, Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to move on people and your Spirit to move on us to cause us to speak with them. I ask you, Lord, to help those who are in military uniforms and so often away from their family while on duty 
either on a shift here in this country or somewhere else in the world. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would use those anxious moments to bring those folks closer to you. Dear God, there are a lot of people in our society and in our church that help other people. I pray we'd not get discouraged, but that we would do more of that and that you'd help us to be resilient and help us to meet the needs physically, emotionally, and spiritually of other people. Give us the eyes to see, Lord, and give us the heart and the compassion to reach out. Father, school's about to start again all across this country. And there are going to be so many teachers who have returned to the classroom and they're going to have students in their rooms and I just pray that they would turn to you and ask for help in what they're about to do. And I pray that you would use those teachers throughout this country to help nourish our country and our children spiritually. Father, thank you for our church. Thank you for a place where we can honestly talk about you and read your word and learn from you and sing and have times like this in prayer. Thank you for your blessing. And thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't ask you to open your Bibles with me to Matthew, the 20th chapter. Matthew, the 20th chapter. And we're going to look at the first 16 verses. This is a parable that may be familiar to many of you of the laborers in the vineyard. When I go back more years than I would care to publicly account for, first sermon I ever preached was from this passage. And I had just, not too long before that, begun to understand grace a bit. And I entitled that first sermon, You Think This Is Really Fair? And the reason I did that is I was trying to figure out if it was really fair or not. I came from a background that said you had to earn your salvation. Wrong as that was. So when I got to this parable, I was just kind of blown away. And that's why I preached it the first time I preached. I don't know if I've preached it since. That's a long time ago, folks. Matthew, the 20th chapter, verses 1 through 16. Once you've found your place, put your finger in your Bible. Let's get some help. Father, I pray that your words would just jump off the page to us today as if Jesus were standing right here and speaking to us. And I pray that we might learn from this experience. And I pray, dear God, that we would go home understanding grace far better than we did when we walked in this door. Bless our time together in your word, I pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. A little refresher course, because I think this is so foundational to talking about grace. 
Do you remember the covenant that God put in place when he created Adam and Eve? The covenant of works. He created Adam and Eve in his own likeness. He put them in paradise, a place where there was no corruption of nature and no corruption of people. And he said to them to stay here, to remain in this paradise. I only ask one thing of you. You can enjoy it all of the days of your life, which will be eternity. But I ask one thing. This is a Barton paraphrase. That you let me be God and you not try to be God. He said, the way we're going to put that to the test is I'm going to put a tree in the garden and I'm going to ask you not to eat of it and I want you to be obedient and not eat of that tree. And as long as you respond by doing the things that I want you to do, you'll remain in this special relationship with me. And it was pretty special. He walked with them. He talked with them. He was right there for them. God had equipped Adam and Eve with something that he's equipped every one of us with. He equipped them with the ability to control their own behavior. They could make decisions as rational people and decide to do what God wanted, or they could decide not to. You all know how that worked out. They took that unique ability he had given them, and they misused it. And they rebelled against God, and they did what they wanted and not what he wanted. And in essence, they were trying to be God. God had told him, if you do that, you shall surely die. They ignored that and did what they wanted to do. They died spiritually that day. He put them out of his presence and never under any circumstances left to them could they restore that relationship. There was nothing they could do. The covenant of works had ended so they couldn't earn their way back into his relationship. The reason we face death today physically is because of that sin. And every one of us shall die unless Jesus comes back while we're still alive. There's another thing that happened as a result of their sin. And it's something that is almost like a plague to us, all of us today. That strong will that desire to do what we want to do and not what God wants, that original sin lingers with us. Haven't there been a lot of times in your life when you've just willed that you're going to do what you want even though God wants you to do something else? That happens. It happens sometimes unintentionally, but a lot of times it happens intentionally. And what that is, is the residual effect of what God gave us and gave Adam and Eve that was misused. Some people take that to an extreme. Some people look at all of life on a performance basis. All of their relationships are built on performance basis. 
They even judge themselves on performance. And if they set a performance expectation that's unrealistic, and some of you have done this, you can go through life pretty discouraged because you can't even live up to the standard that you've set and other people don't, so you have lots of broken relationships. And that's part of the residual of what was intended to be a beautiful and wonderful thing to help us be in communion with God. So the effects of that original sin are devastating now and eternally. That's not the end of the story. We've read the last chapter in this book also. And the last chapter tells us that what God did is he came right back with another covenant. We call it the covenant of grace. It's where he says, while you can't do anything to restore the relationship, I'm God and I can. And out of love and out of mercy, I'm going to do that. That's what our parable is all about. I want you to look with me at the parable. The 20th chapter of Matthew, beginning with the first verse. Listen carefully, folks. God's about to speak. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning and hired laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. Again, he went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idly all day long? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages beginning with the last group to the first. When those hired about the eleventh hour came and each one received a denarius, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said to them, Friends, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to these last men the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. If you look at that very first section, verses 1 through 7, you'll see that it talks about how God calls people. It starts out by saying, For the kingdom of heaven... The kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 3, 
we have the first words of a sermon that John the Baptist preached. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Luke 1, I'm sorry, Mark 1, we have Jesus' recorded words from a sermon right after John the Baptist had been arrested. And he said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand and believe. A central thing. What God is doing is he's putting together a kingdom. The kingdom's made up of people who are saved by grace. And what he's doing is he's reaching into that darkness and at times, according to his schedule, he pulls and induces people and equips them to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. And as they make a profession of faith, they're incorporated into his kingdom, which shall last forever and forever. So when you hear Jesus telling the parable, he says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. He's starting to say again, be aware that God's putting this kingdom together. In the parable, the landowner is God. So he's saying what God is doing is he's assembling his church. The verse goes on to say, who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. There's a key operative word that we can jump right over if we're not careful. And that word is, he went. Went. God did not wait for people to come to him. If you remember just a moment ago, we don't have the ability to do that. Sin has taken that ability away from us. So what God has done in his grace is he's gone out into that darkness and every one of us who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior are the recipient of him coming. He came to us. You know, that little bit of theology, if you just stop there for a moment, ought to change the way we think about God, the way we relate to God, the way we worship God to think that we were helpless, captives to sin. And he said, Rush, I love you. Come be mine. Ellen, I love you. Come be mine. And he didn't just say, you take the initiative. His Holy Spirit came into us and made a change in us and regenerated us so we have the capacity and the desire to want that relationship. See how that can change your whole life? It certainly changes our relationship with God. So if you've been working on a works kind of foundation where everything has to balance out and people have to live up and you have to live up to some standard, I'm sorry, folks, you're in for a disappointment. It ain't going to happen. It's just not going to happen. And God knows that, and by grace... He still loves you. And by grace, he still calls you. He did an interesting thing. He went out into that workplace not once, but a number of times. 9 a.m., 12 a.m., 3 a.m., and at 5 p.m., one hour before the workday ends. And he calls people, and they are idle. And that's what you and I were, and that's what people who don't know Jesus are. They're idle. 
They have no purpose, no direction. They can set all kind of financial goals and recreational goals, and when it's all over and done, none of it really matters very much. That's not where happiness is. Happiness comes from a personal relationship with Jesus. So he goes out and he tells the first group what he will pay them. And the other groups, as he calls them, he says to them, I'll do what's right. He doesn't even name a figure. And they go out and they go to work for him. This week I was talking to a friend. She's about my age, kind of young and vibrant. That resonates, doesn't it? (laughs) She and I were talking on the phone, and she said, You know, Bill, I've been asking you to pray for my son. Her son's 36 years old. Her son has had a real battle with cancer, and nobody knew how that was going to work out. And for a couple of years, it did not look good. He has recovered by God's grace. He has recovered. And she said, You know, I'm so excited about what's happened but there's something more important. I said, what? She said he was baptized last Sunday. He has accepted Jesus at 36 years of age and has made a life commitment now to the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care when you come. The important thing is that you respond and get there. Eternity is forever. What we're experiencing is like a little pinpoint. And all of our human existence is in that. And when a person comes to faith, forever and ever, they're going to be in the presence of God with all the benefits and all the blessings. Isn't that beautiful? So my friend was right. They'd gone through some hard times, but the real joy came when her son accepted Jesus. If you look down at verses 8 through 10, you see an interesting little narrative unfold. Verse 8 says, When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. And what he was saying is, I want you to bring them in, the people who went to work at 5 o'clock, and I want you to pay them. And then 3 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 9 o'clock. And give them all the same thing. Is that fair? See, as a young preacher, that's what bothered me. Is that really fair? I'd want to say along with these folks, well, you know, some of us worked out in the hot sun all day, and some of those guys didn't even work up a sweat. Is that a good word to use from the pulpit? Perspiration. It doesn't sound fair, does it? Well, folks, if we're going to do this on a fairness basis, nobody gets a reward. Not one human being. Because we have already failed at the good works. We can't do enough to earn our salvation. So if we're going to operate on that basis, whoa, we're in big trouble. But if we're going to operate on the basis of grace, it makes perfect sense. God said to each of them, I love you, and I'm going to show my grace to you. And that's precisely what he did. 
Any of you like John Wayne? I grew up with John Wayne. I remember a number of years ago when he died that I heard someone say that he had just accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. I did a little research on that, trying to figure that out. I learned a lot of things about John Wayne. Uh, John Morrison was his name, and he was raised in a Presbyterian family. Apparently didn't practice his faith as an adult, went through a series of divorces because his ex-wife said he was always gone, never home, never a husband, really not much of a father. It didn't seem to affect his status in Hollywood because he, for the most part, did very well professionally. I heard his son say, Patrick, that about a year before his dad died, that his dad made a profession of faith and joined the Roman Catholic Church. And my response to that is, praise God. Our sovereign God can work in any denomination, any way he wants to work, any time he wants to work, and it's all about grace. And if he put his hand on John Wayne and brought him to faith so that he'll be there, maybe to entertain us in heaven, but that he'll have those benefits, praise God. You know the sad part of the story of John Wayne and of the 36-year-old son? That they go through so many days of life not knowing Jesus and not experiencing the benefit of surrendering to a God of grace and a God of mercy. And when you surrender to that God of grace and that God of mercy and you start to understand in your heart of hearts who God is, and what he's all about. An amazing thing happens. You start to behave like that. You start to conform yourself through the power of the Holy Spirit to the image of Christ, and you start to love other people. And in some cases, you start to love yourself. That grows out of grace. Anytime I stand before you, anytime a minister stands before a congregation anywhere, wouldn't you imagine there's some folks who are sitting there who don't know Jesus? Some folks who are still living in this works kind of covenant even though it doesn't work? Some folks who are hard on themselves and hard on other people? And you know, if you simply come to terms like the folks this morning did with the fact that you're a sinner and that Jesus is the Son of God. And if you come to terms by God's grace with the fact that Jesus would be your Savior if you'll invite him in, then suddenly the way you relate to other people and the way you relate to yourself has the potential to change dramatically. Do you understand? What we have experienced, we can duplicate by God's grace. And we can share it with other people. 
Verse 16 says, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. It makes you not want to get to the head of the line. I watched a lady one time in a hotel trying to get to the head of the line because there were a whole group of people in front of her. There was a natural kind of an emergency and everybody had been vacated from a particular area of the coastline and and she wanted the head of the line. And she just insisted that she be allowed to go to the head of the line. And there were probably 40 people in the lobby of the hotel. And she started trying to talk about how many honor points she had and she ought to be at the front of the line. Well, there's some Christians who say, look at all my honor points. I ought to be at the front of the line. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. That is a declaration from God. I have a dear friend whose wife became ill. And for 15 years, my friend took care of his wife. Resigned his physician and went home and took care of his wife. And his explanation simply was, my prayer is that I will outlive her so I can take care of her until the last breath. The first shall be last. There's some benefit in that. That's not all bad. It means that you and I get to love on folks and to be encouragers of folks and relate to folks and be used by God while we're still here knowing we're going to have eternal life. You know, a change needs to take place in so many of us to just kind of relax and let God be God and let him take care of us and to enjoy the grace that he has shown us. If you don't get anything else out of today's sermon, you know what my heart's desire is? This is for you and for me. That we would understand grace and stop operating on a works basis. And that we might enjoy God and enjoy life and praise him for the God of love that he really is. Did you get that? That's what it's all about. We're to be changed people, you and I. We're to be a model of what we've experienced with God. Will you think about that when you get home today? Will you give the Holy Spirit time to ferment that thought in your mind? Let's pray together. Father, you know every one of us. You know us in our public persona and you know us in the privacy of our own thoughts, our own hearts, our homes. You know our desires. You know the things that excite us. You also know, Lord, that a lot of that doesn't really materialize into anything substantial. I pray that you'd help us get to know you, Lord, more and more every day. To do that through prayer, 
to do that through the reading of the word that we might understand, but that at the end of this life we might look back and say, thank you, Father. I'm not the same man and I'm not the same woman that I once was. I look more like Jesus today than I did when I started. And in that, Father, help us to enjoy you and to trust you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Pray, if you and Gail would walk on down and Linda will walk to the back door with you and we're going to let all these folks shake your hand. You know, being in the church and belonging to the Lord is the most life-changing experience that a person can have. Are you having that? I hope you will. When you walk out of here today, walk out of here knowing that you have been loved by grace. And that is a compelling experience. God bless you. And God keep you. And may his face not only shine on you, but may you say thank Thank you, Lord. Thank you for loving me. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.